0: cougs house all right you didn't think we'd let you get out of here without praving houston memphis on sunday did you you are locked on cougs your daily podcast on the houston cougars part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Welcome to Locked on Cougs, the daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Barker Angel, here to break down all things Cougs, if you're a U of H fan, or just a hater who can't stop by, please be sure to subscribe down below. That way we get the latest on the Cougs into your news feed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked on Cougs your first listen of the day. We're a coming to you a little bit later in the morning today, on Saturday morning as we preview Sunday's game against Memphis. Uh, but welcome back to the YouTube channel. Uh, we're just over 650 subscribers. Remember, we get to 750. We're doing like a little giveaway. We're doing one of those every 250. 50 subscribers, so make sure you subscribe so we get there, and if after talking about Memphis for 15 or 20 minutes, you don't want to talk about them anymore, you can comment down below with, if you like, Pizza Hut or Domino's. Now, what I will say is, in previewing Memphis, um, part of the reason it took so long to preview Memphis is because they had a fairly major injury on Thursday night. And I was really, really hoping there'd be more concrete information out there. But of course, it's college sports and there is not. In this first segment, I want to talk a little bit about what I anticipate coming from the game. And then in the second segment, kind of how things change. Now, they'll both be fairly short. It's a bonus episode. We have seven episodes out this week. Uh, There'll be a full game recap, obviously, on Monday morning, right in your inbox. Um, But the Memphis game is one that warrants an extra episode to talk about because this rivalry of sorts is, A, as much fun as anything in... College basketball, but certainly in Houston college basketball, right? Because we see them twice a year. We don't like them, right? They're typically the top two teams, of the conference the last handful of years, uh, Samson and Penny and the history of the programs and all those kinds of things. Right. Um, but also, <laughs> uh, Joe Lenardi recently said at halftime of the Houston game, or I guess it was actually during the game, but it felt like halftime because they were barely really showing the game uh, a couple weeks ago, that he has Memphis as his other American athletic conference team in. There are several places and outlets that have them as a last four in. Lots of people have them on the good side of the bubble. So this is another tournament team Houston is playing. And in the Houston schedule, we haven't seen a tournament team in a while. I don't mean to say anything negative about some of the good basketball being played in the American Athletic Conference, but Temple is going to have to like really have an uphill fight to get in the tournament, right? Tulane will have an uphill fight to get in the tournament. They're both good basketball teams. They're just probably not in. At Memphis, it sounds like probably is in, even with all the injuries that they've had this season. Um, Memphis is a strong basketball team that will full-court press for the majority of the game. Uh, they run, they call it a run and jump. It's really more like a 2-2-1. Two, two, And they scramble into a like high-pressure, high-aggression man half-court defense out of it. Um, Really, really impressive stuff at a Penny's group, especially considering he's playing with a handful of backups because of how many starters he's got down. Um, I think what's interesting about this matchup for me is if Houston wants to solidify themselves as number one seed in the tournament, they've got the path because they have these two rivalry games against Memphis, which are consensus tournament teams to do it in, right? I think most teams in Houston's situation where they're like a nationally dominant team in a conference that doesn't have the respect nationally, they don't get that. Like, Gonzaga had faced this uphill battle for years playing on the West Coast Conference, right? It was like, but we beat St. Mary's, and no one outside the West Coast cares about that, right? Uh, or we beat San Francisco, but no one outside the West Coast understands how difficult that game was. Uh, Houston uniquely gets this game against a team that people understand is a difficult touted team i mean memphis has the number one class in some rankings for 2023 recruits in the country you know for a reason right not because they're coming to play with some scrubs um this is a a a key game to win at home and i kind of wish memphis were healthy so there were no ifs, ands or buts about it (laughs) right I, i worry that that could have an impact on how people take this game um memphis for if reference if you're like so focused on Houston, you haven't seen them in the national picture. They're twenty and six and ranked thirty seven in Kempom. Palm. Um, now I think that that's interesting to pe- for people to look at because like twenty and six, look at their schedule and like that's not that crazy a schedule. But they lost six games by a combined twenty one points. Uh, they lost to UCF in January in double overtime. Lost to Tulane to both times by a combined eight points. Uh, One of them was a one-point overtime loss. They lost to Alabama, the same Alabama Houston lost to after being up by 15. They lost to that Alabama by three. They lost to Seton Hall by one, and lost to St. Louis by six. Right. That's their six total losses. There's a not-so-crazy world where Memphis is undefeated coming into this game. Right. 21 points over the course of a 26-game stretch is not that hard to come by, and it would not take that many extra points for them to be undefeated coming into Houston. On the flip side, 11 of their 20 wins are by 10 points or less. So there is also a world where in these close games, they consistently play. They're more like 12 and what was it, 14, right? Like, like that could also be the flip side of this coin. Memphis lives by this full court aggressive press dies by this full court aggressive press. And in doing so, it creates a fast paced, intense, uh, Game with a bunch of possessions. It'll probably be the highest scoring game Houston's had in a long time against a good team. I could, I would anticipate honestly, um, both teams being over seventy five. That that's the kind of thing I see. As good as Houston's defense is, I think both teams will be over seventy five in this matchup. Um, key wins for Memphis because we mentioned their losses. Uh, they beat Stanford, Vanderbilt, Auburn, and Texas A&M, all Power Five teams. Obviously, not like the most elite of Power Five teams, but like Stanford has a pro and Harrison Ingram. Uh, Vanderbilt beat Tennessee. So like not, they're not the cream of the crop in the SEC, but they're also not jokes. Um, Auburn, you know, like they're another SEC team, Texas A&M, they're Texas A&M. So like a, a, on the whole, <laughs> Memphis has wins against power five programs. And I like to think of Houston's power five program because a, we beat them and B, we're going to be in a few months. So like, you know, take that as you may, um, Interesting in watching them in a modern college game with this press and full court and aggression, they're not a heavy three-point shooting team. Uh, 21.2% of their points come from beyond the arc. That is 352nd in college basketball. There are 363 teams in college basketball, right? They're on the low, low end as far as getting the percentage of their points from three. They do get over 20% of their points from three, but that's just where college basketball is. What's interesting about that to me is you full court press to me in my head when you have like a little bit of undersized team, Need to speed up the game a little bit and those kinds of things. They're doing it to get layups. Um, they're doing it to get layups quickly to beat you before your defense gets back to set up. And hopefully, I mean, most teams send their bigs down court on a full court press to try and get something easy by the bucket. That's most teams' press break involves a big going down the floor. And they're what they're doing and they're banking on is beating you back down the floor before he gets to set up with this press, right? Um they were 23rd in points for in the country at 80 and a half points per game. So again, if they scored over 70, that's still less than their average. And uh, they're 277th in points against at 73 points per game. This is going to be a high scoring game. If Memphis has anything to do with it. Um, the only way this is a low scoring game is if Houston is winning like 60 to 40. And it's just that dominant in the absence of Kendrick Davis, right? Um, Memphis is only held below 77 times. Weirdly, they won all seven, so I almost want it to get over 70. <laughs> we'll see. Um, Memphis is a unique team to say the very, very least. Um, before I get into some specifics on people and watching, I paid really close attention to the UCF game, but I also saw the Tulane and Temple games. Um, let's talk a little bit about our buddies at FanDuel. FanDuel is the number one sports book in America, and it's midway through the NBA season. And it's time for you to download FanDuel. Because it's got its cool no-sweat first bet for up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. uh, Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to the point spread to freeze drained, etc. This weekend in the NBA is the NBA All-Star Game. I said this the other day and I got some chuckles. But I think because the All-Star Game is in uh, Salt Lake City you should bet on the over. <laughs> uh, let's just say that the nightlife and distractions in Salt Lake City are less than they are in L.A., Vegas, Houston, Chicago, New York, right? And so I think the players will be a little bit more dialed in and focused. I know that that's counterintuitive. Some people saying that with the Elam ending, you actually want to bet the under. There's 24 points and a whole lot of points for a fourth quarter and all-star game. I'm saying bet the over, and I'm saying to bet it at FanDuel.com. FanDuel lets you combine bets for an even chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. Don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with Fanduel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right. So, in specifics to Memphis in this game, <laughs> Kendrick Davis, who you remember was at SMU the last couple of years is one of the leading scorers in America at 21.3 points per game. He's also getting 5.8 five point eight assists per game, 2.2 steals per game, and he is one of the best guards in the country. He's only 5'11", not a big guy. That's why he's been in college so long, but he is one of the best guards in the country, and would be a great, fun matchup to watch Jamal Shedd and Marcus Sasser kind of go back and forth between having to cover. He makes tough shots. He makes fallaway shots. He makes crazy acrobatic shots at the rim. Um, he makes all kinds of impressive plays in the basketball game. He's also apparently hurt. <laughs> on Thursday night, he hurt his ankle, uh, driving the basket late in the first half, like four minutes left in the first half, against UCF. Um, and he finished the game in a boot. He came out in the second half in a boot and street clothes, watched the game, and then notably, there are videos of him crutching off the floor, not putting any weight on that ankle. Now, obviously, that was Thursday night. We're not going to get any word on Friday or Saturday, apparently, about what things look like. But... If he is playing, and there have been indications that he might try to play, they could just be, you know, general, like, make sure Houston prepares for it, but he may try to play. Uh, I don't imagine he's 100%. And if he doesn't play, he's clearly, the Memphis is not 100%. (laughs) Um, He's not the only player to be worried about. We're going to get to him in a second. But... Kendrick Davis not being healthy does dramatically shift how this team plays. He's the lone true point guard, and he's a scoring combo guard at that, but on the roster, at least on the healthy roster. And frankly, as a fan, I was enthusiastically getting ready to watch Jamal Shed and Marcus Houser play against him, (laughs) right? like I, I wanted to see that happen. Now we don't, and frankly, I worry if that almost makes us more of a must win because the selection committee is a group of people who use a bunch of numbers and machines, but at the end of the day are people. And I worry that they may account for that. Like, okay. Yeah. You beat Memphis by eight, but like Kendrick Davis didn't play. I don't, I don't need any of that. I don't need any of that. I don't need any of that. <laughs> All right. Um, so with him out of the game, the focus very quickly goes to Deandre Williams, Deandre Williams is a six, nine kid from Klein forest. I should point out Kendrick Davis is also a Houstonian and, uh, he went to Houston, same Houston, um, but DeAndre Williams is 6'9", from Klein Forrest, uh, 17.3 points per game, 8.1 rebounds per game. Much more of an aggressive, athletic, long type of athlete. He can put on the floor, I think, when you talk about a forward at 6'9", putting up 17 points, you think about a lot of drop-offs and stuff like that. If he can't, He's not a big change of direction kind of guy with the ball on the floor, but at the top of the key... Or in that extended short corner area, like we see Jerris catch the ball at. Um, Jerris Walker, our own guy, right? Uh, he will catch it and then put the ball on the floor for two or three bounces and blow by guys. So he's not necessarily afraid to do that. He's a really, really talented athlete. I thought it was interesting in the Central Florida game. Once Kendrick Davis left the game right before halftime, when they came out of the half and they clearly had had time to sit down and talk through what they wanted to do offensively without Davis in the game, because they said at halftime he was not coming back in. They really, really tried to force the ball into. Can into uh, DeAndre Williams. Um, DeAndre Williams, let me make sure I get this right, did finish the game with 12 points, um, eight of them in the second half. Um, worth pointing out that because he took over point guard duties, Elijah McCadden actually finished as well with 16. They put him in a lot of the same actions they're putting Kendrick Davis in. So maybe in the Houston game, that's the route they go. But I thought it was interesting that coming out of the half, they really tried to force the ball inside um, or force the ball to DeAndre and let him work, right? Um, so that's where I, those are the two kind of ways I anticipate this thing going. Uh, Elijah McCadden is more of a 6'4 type guard, he's not really a traditional point guard. Um, but for whatever it's worth, he did take over point guard responsibilities once uh Kendrick Davis did leave the game. So if Kendrick Davis is in, obviously he'll try and do it, but Elijah McCadden be the guy I assume is trying to do it. Um, Keontae Kennedy is another guard for them, he is a he's their best three point shooter, not that they shoot a whole lot of them. But he's a 6'5 kid. It's on his third school in four years. Um, he'll start off with Xavier, then went to Utah, Now he's at Memphis. He's getting like just over nine points a game and shooting 40% from three. He's getting all his points from beyond the three point line. He's their lone kickout guy they got on the roster, really. And so I wonder if that's kind of a Tremont Mark matchup because of the length you can have like on the two step gal from help side or, or where that matchup is. But that's um, Keontae Kennedy is the guy that you have to like watch beyond the arc. Outside of that, probably okay, right? Like Elijah McCadden hit his percentage. It's a thousand from the last game, but he hit one. He was one of one, right? Like they practice too. They'll hit one. Um, Kendrick Davis joins a list of injured guys that Memphis has been kind of snarky about whether or not they'll play. So I think it's worth pointing out that like Malcolm Dandridge hasn't played in two months. He's a dominant athletic long guy. Um, Again, another guy that attacks the rim with crazy athleticism. But he hasn't played in a couple months. So, like, what's he going to look like if he suits up? Like, there's been hints that he may suit up. What's it going to look like if he does? Um, Alex Lomas, Lomax, I'm sorry, Loma. I read that wrong. Alex Lomax, um, he's more of a, you know, traditional guard type, uh, six foot. When I say traditional guard, I want to say point guard or shooting guard, right? Because he's not like the three-point knockdown shooter you think of as a kickout guy but he's also not like the acrobatic finisher on the rim that Davis is. Um, what would be interesting is if Lomax hadn't played in my notes here, say a month or just over a month. Um, if he is healthy when Kendrick Davis is out, does he take over some of the point guard responsibilities as well um, in a scoring kind of way? When he and Davis went on the floor together, he was very much the two guard. So we'll see. I would imagine the bigger push for Memphis in this game will be to use their defense to turn into offense because all of their length and guards can finish in the open floor very well, right? It, it would be a way to kind of negate absence of a point guard if that was the case. Um, defensively, when I look at them, they do that 2 to one back to a scramble man. Um, because of their aggression, they actually give up offensive rebounds on just over 36% of their shots. Um, so I think Houston could have a field day with Jawan, Jarrus, Francis, Reggie Cheney, we saw Terrence, uh, we saw uh, Tremont Mark just a couple days ago, like all going off on the offensive glass. I could think that Houston could take advantage of that as well. Um, they also, in aggressive ways, managed to mostly just switch all of their guys over about six four. I have three, four, five as far as positions go, but really most anyone over six four for them just kind of switches. And that what we would have called in my coaching day, they call it more of a twenty five defense, where there are two guys that are under six feet six four. Those guys don't switch. The other five do. The other ones do on all five positions. Um, because of that aggression, they do do a lot of uh, driving, kick, uh, catch and suit threes because they overhelp. Um, and I, I, if Houston's shooting the ball well at home, like we think they can, Manuel Sharp could have a big day. Right, Marcus Sasser could have a big day. I don't think they leave Sasser open, but he could have a big day on that. Um, the aggression kind of, um, interestingly enough is meant more to rush your shots though, to force you to take quick shots or bad shots. It does that more than it does with um, any sort of turnovers Um, in turnovers. Since they're 81st in the country in turnovers forced per game, um, or sorry, 81st in terms of They're 300th in turnovers forced per game. So like, but well below average there, um, and I think that's interesting because when I think of the aggression they play with, you'd assume it's forcing a lot of turnovers. It's really forcing you to take quick shots, and they're hoping to go run the other direction with it, right? Um, it's just this high-paced game in defense that bleeds points, where so they're giving up over 70 a game, and Houston, again, can take real advantage of if they're able to stop them offensively. On offense, I've got notes on what they do. They do a lot of Kendrick Davis off of high screens to the low man as well, so he has a pop guy or a short roll guy high and then a drop off guy low. He has both options, which means that the side of the floor he's going to has more space, right? Because you have a low guy, a high guy, and then him coming off of it, right? He's coming up to more empty space, but he has drop off options at different levels, but he also has less shooters to kick to, right? Um, So that's the yin and yang there of what they do. Um A lot of heavy isolation sets. that If they get a mismatch on Davis, they take it. If they get a mismatch on Williams, they take it. Those are my offensive notes. Without Kendrick Davis, <laughs> um, it's hard to really gauge what they do because against UCF, like I said, they came out trying to force the ball inside to Williams. They tried to replace Davis with Mc, uh, McCadden. But none of that really worked, right? They were up by 14 at one point shortly like shortly after Davis gets hurt. And then in the final seconds of this game against UCF, they were losing, right? They blew the big lead at home because Davis was out. They did end up getting a steal for a layup that won the game. Crazy fun play, right, if you're a Memphis guy. But I wonder if that means that what they were doing, they can identify wasn't working. So I don't know if that's necessarily easy to pick on as far as like what they'll do against Houston but maybe they will. I mean, Houston's also not got of, not got anyone taller than six foot nine, right? So maybe they think that they can pound the ball inside with Williams or whatever. Um, we'll see. They don't have the shooters to force Houston to kick out. So they just aren't on their roster, and so it would take a anomaly of a shooting day to become that team. But I wonder what they do without Davis in. And, and I look at the end of the UCF game and think that won't work. So I'm not sure what they do. All of my offensive notes, though, all have to do with things they did with Davis in the game in their Temple Tulane. And this first half of the Memphis games, all these isolation sets, all these four screens to force mismatches like that, all of the way that they get there was entirely dependent on Davis being healthy. Um, I will say that as I tra- mentioned, when I read the wrong stat a second ago, they do turn the ball over and we know Houston makes people turn the ball over. <laughs> and so I could see, especially without a point guard on the floor, this being the kind of game that Houston gets a lot of steals, um, mostly like pick six kind of steals, like jumping the passing lanes. So we'll see. Um, I anticipate if Davis does not play Houston winning, uh, and if Houston, I guess, if Davis does play, I still think Houston wins just a closer game. Um, my worry becomes very quickly if they do win, does the committee think, yeah, but about it, right? Now, we'll be talking about it all Sunday and into Monday on uh, Lockdown Cooks. Make sure you find me at Paints with 512 P A I N S W O R T H 512 to talk all things Houston Cougar basketball. Football spring practice is coming up. Uh, we got football to talk about as well. Uh, we talk about the Rockets at the NBA All Star Weekend. Quentin Grimes, Houston's own, did a great job in the Rising Stars game. All those things at Painsworth five one two P A I N S W R T H five one two on Twitter, Instagram, and all your social media handles. Uh, thank you guys so much for subscribing to Locked On Cougs and listening to Locked On Cougs this weekend. If you're looking for a second to listen, I'm going to recommend Locked On Big Twelve because it's a big weekend in the Big 12. It's our conference next year, and having a big weekend of basketball. Important games. Josh does a great job of breaking all those down and giving you picks via FanDuel for that, so make sure you go check that out as well. Thank you all so much for making Locked on Cougs your first listen of the weekend, your most important listen of the weekend. Locked on Cougs, the proud member of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.